you agree that you have been called to evangelism. Hallelujah. For the word of God to prosper in your heart, it means that you are agreeing in your hands that you have been called towards to evangelism. So I'll take you through the teaching today, which is the call to evangelism. It is a call to understand what evangelism means and to grow in it. All right, Matthew chapter 20, 28, verse 19. Can the media team give me 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18? 2 Corinthians 5. That is the first key scripture that we'll be working with this morning. 2 Corinthians, can I have it? It said, therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a new creation, all things have passed away. Behold, things, behold, all things have become new. The next. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. The next. I said that, that is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us words, the word of reconciliation. Now this is one of the key scriptures that brings us as believers to evangelism. It's one of the key scriptures that says that if you are a new creation, which simply means a new creation is someone who has received the message of Christ and has believed the message of Christ, and that new creation now has also received what? The ministry of Christ. Did you get that? So a new creation does not only receive the message. So if you think that you are born again or you believe rather that you are born again and you have received and believed the message of Christ, you have also received words, the ministry of Christ. Alright. So the gospel message is, the gospel is a message and a ministry. Do we get it? So there's a lot of slides today, so just follow me as I try to move fast. The gospel is a message and a ministry. So when you come to believe, whether you like it or not, as you grow in Christ, you will realize this, that the person who is coming to preach Christ to you is also preaching a ministry to you. So the message of Christ is but a message, the gospel rather, is but a message and a ministry. So every part of the ministry must carry the message. As, as I teach and we go through the slides, we'll see. Every part of the ministry must do what? Must carry the message. Now go back to that second Corinthians. Or you can stay there. Just stay on the slides. Sorry, stay on the slides. I'll use my, I'll use my notes. Second Corinthians 5. I said, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So what God did, right? What God did is that he reconciled you to himself. And he did that through the message of Christ. Now what is given to you is that he now gave you the ministry to teach people about this message. Do we get it? 
So when you come to Christ, don't always think that you just come. And when you're also preaching to somebody, because we're talking about evangelism, when you preach, preach with the mindset that as I'm preaching to this person, this person is believing, is also receiving the ministry to preach to another person. Do we get it? So if you go for evangelism or you're going to teach someone about Jesus Christ, let that be your mindset. As I'm teaching this person and this person is believing, the person is going to go and teach another person. So that is the gospel. It's not just you receiving and believing and staying. Do we get it? Alright. So the message is, the gospel is the message and the ministry. And every part of it must carry the message. The moment the ministry you are doing misses the message, you have missed everything. Right? So whatever you call ministry, of which we are going to see if we have more time, I'm trusting we'll be able to manage our time. Whatever you feel ministry is, I'm just putting that in context. As we teach, you will see what ministry really is. Please, can you shift? Something is on the screen. Yes. Whatever ministry you think, the moment you move the message away from the, from the ministry, you have missed the purpose of that ministry. So it means that if you remove reconciliation of man to God through Christ from the ministry you are doing, you have you have missed it. So if you want to find a man who is missing, you want to check if somebody is missing in his ministry, is when the person has removed the reconciliation of man to God through Christ. Because he said God in Christ, reconciliation, reconciling us to himself. So that is the message. Now this is it. The understanding that choir, ushering, drama, and other church departments and ministry can be misleading can be very misleading. The reason is because because I sing does not excuse me from sharing the gospel to someone. Do you get that? Because the ministry is actually the message of the gospel. I'm moving too fast, but I'll say it. So, because you're in the choir, most of us have excused ourselves because I'm just playing the piano. So you wake up in the morning and you enter your school bus and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to minister to this person and share the gospel. You are saying, no, I, I don't need to do that. I'm just, you know, I'm just playing the keyboard. I play the keyboard for those who go and evangelize, you know, and they can go and do it and it has nothing to do with me. That is misleading. Or you say you are just ushering. I don't need to learn the word. It's for Bible study people. You are misleading yourself in such an understanding. So to claim that all those things are ministries, like, oh, my ministry is just singing, and I just sing, is misleading yourself. It's like taking, how can I put it? It's like looking at the whole ministry and saying, oh, it's just this part that I want. And not taking the preponderance, right? The, the most important thing about ministry. So most of the time, the misunderstanding of the ministry makes people leave the message. So the moment you think, oh, the ministry is, is just to sing, right, you leave the message. Even in your song, even in the song that you sing, that is why you can hear songs that are not the message of Christ. I'll move a little bit first. This also makes people to believe that ministry only is inside the church. This is another problem. So when you think that your ministry is just choir, drama, ushering, and whatever you do in the church. Then outside the church, it means that what? You're useless, right? It means that you're you are doing nothing. 
So to assume that all those things are ministry and the essence of ministry is just to come and serve in the church department is actually very misleading. So it means that you just go out of the church and I just put a word there. The word simply means to relax and chill. It's faji. Like you believe that after church, there's nothing again. After Sunday service, we just go out. The ministry is a vacation rather than a vocation. So you just believe, you know, it's, it's something we just do for fun. The ministry is not being done for fun. This is the same reason why people think that the ministry is for their own shine. So some of you, you serve in your team because you want to be seen. You serve because you want your album to go out there. You are in the choir with the mindset that the moment I leave Cyprus, if Sister Lizzie and Bishop Kirsten can just quickly teach me some skills, I will just go and release an album. And you think that, what that that's what the ministry is all about. The ministry is not about your shine. Okay? The ministry is not about your shine. Serving or doing things within the church is not about your shine. It's about the shine of Christ. Hallelujah. So let this be your mindset as we go. So the message and the ministry are together. You can't separate them. So I wrote something there which was Pastor Chidi quoting him last week. So when Christ is not treasure, he is being used. So most people pick up ministry and they say, oh, you know, let's just, let's, I'm looking for platform. Yes. That's the one that they use. They're looking for a platform where you will sing. You're looking for a platform where you will shine. That is, that is a misunderstanding because you think that the ministry is actually to just go and show off in church. That is one, that's not what the ministry is about. And it's because you are missing the message of Christ. An understanding of the message makes the ministry effective. An understanding of the message of Christ makes your ministry effective. So it means that, I'll just give you an example. You are employed to the ministry of, to the ministry of avi aviation. I'm just giving an example. You studied and you are employed to the ministry of aviation. And the first day you entered into your ministry, the first thing you want to do, right, is to sign a trade contract with China. It means that you have misunderstood what aviation is. And you will turn aviation to international relations. They are two different things. Are we together? So if you misunderstand the message, you will misunderstand your ministry. So today we want to check what is the message and what is the ministry. That is what we want to go through. So that you can know when you are evangelizing, when you are teaching, what you should be teaching. So the department in church are medium of, of conveying the message such as true singing and they serve as supports, right? Such as leading people in worship and for orderliness in church. So if you're serving in church, this is the purpose. If you're singing, you are singing the message. And that is why you see that choir have become editors. Our choir, they edit a lot of songs. If they just sample the song and they see that this song is not explaining the message... Or is explaining the message in a promised version. There's that one too. I'm, we're going to check it. There are messages that are true, but there are messages that are in the envelope version, not a received message. All right. So when you're serving in a church, let it be your mindset that you are projecting the message of Christ. You are supporting and leading people in worship. 
and you are here for orderliness. In the course of the week, I was teaching, I was teaching in cell meeting, and I told people, I said, what do you think is the major problem of the church in Corinthians? I was asking them, you know, when you look at the whole of that church, one of the most interesting things is that the church in Corinthian, you know, they have a lot of, they have a lot of vibes, a lot of vibes. Why? Because they are very rich. I will tell you why they are very rich. The church in Corinth is very rich. One, and they are a church that is rich both in the spiritual things and in the physical things. Otherwise, why would they be organizing banquets to eat? So the church in Corinthian organized banquets to eat because they are much. And they are a group, they are, they are, I mean, they're a super church. Why would Paul teach them about spiritual gifts? And only on them, he mentioned everything. Now, the reason Paul, let me quickly drop that. The reason Paul was teaching them was not to introduce them to spiritual gifts. He wasn't introducing them. They know. They practice it. You know their problem is that last word, orderliness in church. That is their main problem. Even the one that was sleeping with his father's wife is because of lack of order. Otherwise, why should it be that it's Paul that is somewhere else that will be correcting that in a church that has leadership? So it means that there is order, there is disorder in that church. So if you're serving in church, one of the reasons why the pastors have put you in teams is that you can create order. You can create order. So that somebody will not be singing here and another one will be playing drums there. And another one will be giving word of prophecy here. And the pastors will now be looking. And somebody will be doing evangelism in between. You know. And you are scattered. Of course, all the things, are they not good? They are good. But is that order? No. That is disorder. So in the body of Christ, you must understand the message and the ministry. So that we can put things in order. So the ministry is inside the message. And the message is inside the ministry. You cannot separate them. So if you have believed here, one of the things I've come to tell you is that you have received the ministry too. The ministry to teach the word of God is not for the pastors. It's not, oh, you know, me, my own is just to believe and I'll just be in church. Another misconception of ministry is to always think that your career is the ministry. Hallelujah. Your career is not the ministry. Oh. <laughs> Your career is what carries you, maybe for your finances. <laughs> Did you get it? Your career is just, it just carry you. Yeah, it supports. You know, that's what Pastor Victor calls it, support. They just aid you financially. Your career aids you to be relevant on this earth. Let me just put it that way. So it's one of the things that makes you relevant. So if I come to meet you and I look at you, what do you do? Ah, uh, you say, oh, I'm a designer. What do you design? I'm, a, I'm an architect. Or I say, oh, really good. Oh, so we can talk, we can relate on, on a general level. And from there we can get to the gospel. But those things are not the ministry. By the time we talk about all the architecture and engineering you talk about, you will not find the message of Christ there. In your curriculum in school, have you found the message of Christ? Hallelujah. In your curriculum in school, has any of your teachers entered your class and taught you about Jesus? No. So how can you now come out and say, my ministry is my career? means there's a misconception there. Now, the teacher that came close to teaching me about Jesus was giving the wrong message. You know, he said, you know, Abraham is a, is a polytheist. If you know the meaning of polytheism, it means that Abraham serves many gods. He has several gods. And that Abraham learned that from Egypt. 
So when I looked at him, I like, ah, this white bed professor. <laughs> this one did not enter. You know, that is not part of it. And I knew that something was wrong. Of course, history books write these things down. So it means that I cannot find my ministry in my career, right? I can find my ministry in my career. I can find my ministry in the message. First, Second Corinthians 5, something. My ministry, I can find it in what? In the message. Therefore, the message and the ministry are not separate. They are not separate. They go together. So it's wrong for you to receive the message and, you know, you don't receive the, you don't receive the ministry. They go together. For many long time, you might have, you know, just believed, but there's no way you can believe and not share. Some of us, the moment you see things on Instagram, ah, it's interesting and you believe it, you will quickly post it to somebody and just share. You have received the ministry of sharing. That is the same thing. It's the same thing here. When you see, when you receive a good message from Jesus, the message, so you share it, and that is what it is. Hallelujah. So to believe the message is also to receive a mandate. So I'm just going to move quickly. To believe the message is also to, to believe it, to receive a mandate. It is not the message or the ministry. It is not the message or the ministry. It is actually the message and the ministry. Okay, so I'm, I'm just reiterating what I've said before. So therefore, in the case, when we receive the message by someone ministration, right? So in, in this case, let me now explain this quietly. We receive the message by a ministration of someone. And from this slides, what we see that God spoke through prophets. Can you give me Hebrews chapter 1? Hebrews chapter 1. You can stay on the slides and I can use my... I can use my uh, Bible. Time is moving very fast. Please go back to the slides. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has done what? Spoken to us by his sons. His son, rather, not sons. His son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. So it means that the message of the gospel is not only in the New Testament. Do we get it? So it means that God has been talking about this message that we're talking about long time ago. And he has been speaking the message through the prophet. Now you need to understand this. Because when I switch to the next thing that I want to explain, it will help you. So the message was announced by prophets and angels. And we see that in the Old Testament. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 1. That God has spoken to our fathers, talking about the patriarchs, right? Abraham and others. And now, he's speaking through who? Through Christ himself, who is the message. So the message was announced by prophets and angels. And the message was also announced and fulfilled by Christ. The apostles and the church... And our pastors are mediums by which we learn about the message. Right? We learn about what? The message of Christ. So nobody can say, I was in a dream and in a vision. And as I was sleeping, an angel laid hands on me. And I came to believe. That is not salvation. Did you get it? So nobody can tell you. If you ask somebody, you went to evangelism. Someone now said, oh, you say, did you believe? Have you believed Jesus? The person say, yes, I believe Jesus. So what do you believe? Or how did you believe? So one day I was just sleeping. I was sick. And as I was sick, 
I just look up, I say, Father, save me. And I just slept, and as I said, just woke up, one angel just laid hand on me. And as I said, woke up, I became a Christian. Ah, that's not it, though. That is not it. There is no salvation without the message. It's impossible to be saved without the message. That is why we need to understand the message as well. Because you can go about preaching the wrong message. You know, right? You have, in fact, some of us are preaching the wrong message. I've heard, I'll tell you, what do you preach to somebody? You say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. <laughs> that is not, we'll go, we'll, I'm, I'm moving too fast, but yes, I'm, I'm getting there. So you must understand the message, right? Someone, if someone said they are believed, the message, tell me your message. So when you go for evangelism, don't leave people. When someone, you come, bro, how are you doing, brother? Are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. What's your name? Emmanuel. Uh, have you believed? Yes, I believe. You know, oh, you have believed. You, you are not part of people we are looking for. You know, okay, we. You are not doing what's good. You are not doing good by that. If you do that, you will leave people that have not believed on the streets, claiming that they have believed. Or you will leave people who understand the message wrongly. Right? They have been following Christ. But, you know, the message they understand it. So they don't understand. It means that if they understand the message wrongly, they will share the message wrongly. And by the time, you know, the person go about sharing the message, you just have more people having. So your responsibility when you go for evangelism, right, when you go, is you ask the person, you have believe. So what message did you believe? And the person, oh, I believe the message of John the Baptist. Okay, not that one. All right, so what is the message of John the Baptist? The person cannot say, oh, I believe, you know, when you go for water baptism, as you're going inside, you're dying, as you're coming out, you're resurrected with Jesus. So, wow. That's not the message. That is not what? The message. So the emphasis here is that we are receiving the messages from our pastors. The prophets and the apostles, the early church, receive the message and pass it on. So the means, it means that if they had not passed the message on, all of us here will not be saved. So you are, you, are, you are a believer because of someone who received the ministry and not just the message. You are a believer, you are a Christian because someone received the message and received the ministry. Otherwise, if they only receive the message and they just stay in their corners, it means that you will not be saved. Some of us will probably be worshipping Ogun, Shango, and all those people now, and you'll still be there. And Amadio, I know, you know, all those names that we call. And maybe some of us will just be atheists and say, well, since there's no, there's no central truth, truth is relative, relative is truth. <laughs> and you, so, but because someone received the message, and that is the reason why you're here today. So, we must do what? Receive the message and the ministry. Tell someone beside you, say, we must receive the message and the ministry. We must do the work of the ministry. All right. Now, the question is, what is the message that was proclaimed? What is the message that was proclaimed? Now, I, I, I specifically said this. I specifically read it out. What is the message? What message did the prophets proclaim? What message did the prophet proclaim? So if you go to Deuteronomy, and Moses saying that God will raise a prophet. I put that, okay. God will raise a prophet. The word prophet is actually Nabiya. means someone inspired by God to carry, to carry a message. So in Deuteronomy 18.15, the emphasis 
was Moses telling the children of Israel that, you see, beyond me, beyond me, there is someone that God will raise. And he said, a prophet. It means that that a prophet is specific to prophets. That prophet is not Isaiah, it's not Ezekiel, it's neither Nehemiah or any of, the, any of them. So it means that he was speaking about a prophet, a person that would carry the message of God, that is inspired by God. Now, Acts chapter 3, verse 22 to 26, we explain who that person is. It's the person of Christ. It's the person of Christ. But they were proclaiming this message in like, some people call it a promise check. Right? So I give you a promise check. God will. So notice the pattern at which the prophets explain the message of Jesus. God will. God will. Isaiah said the same thing in 59. Isaiah 59, 20 to 21. He said, a redeemer will come from Zion. So, you see that it was actually described in a promise. Now, this is the message. All the prophets, until John, they were proclaiming about a Messiah that was to come. The message proclaimed by prophets and angels is the message of Christ who will carry, sorry, who will carry the promise of salvation. I think that's a mistake. So, a Christ who will carry the message of salvation. Who is God's salvation himself? Now, the question is, should I preach this? Let's quickly go to the message proclaimed by angels. What message was proclaimed by angels? Matthew 1, 21 and Luke 1, 26 to 33. The same pattern by which the prophets prophesied in a promissory note is the same pattern. The angels also talked about Jesus. It is, he will and he will and he will. And he will reign and lead his people. Right? He will reign and lead his people. He will reign and save his people from sin. So up until the coming of Jesus, the message of salvation was actually a promise. And we see that in Isaiah as well. Promising eternal life through the Messiah. Right? So sometimes you think eternal life is only in the New Testament. No. Eternal life has been talked about all over the Old Testament. And Ezekiel 37 verse 27 is one of the main ones. He said he will live in them. He will be with them. He will stay with them. He will not leave them again. That is what Ezekiel was saying. So Ezekiel was prophesying that God will come to live inside of man. Right? That is what he was teaching. That God will live inside of man. And 2 Corinthians 6, 16 also explains that when it's talking about quoting uh, Ezekiel. How God would live inside. So the aspect of your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is I think, probably 2 Corinthians 6, 16, is actually talking about the fact that God is living inside of you. So now in all of this, the message is still a promise. And the last one is Isaiah explaining how the Messiah will conduct himself in his death. In his death. So, how the Messiah will save his people from his sin is explained in Isaiah. What the people will receive is explained as a promise in Ezekiel. And the angels explained the fact that Christ will come. So, what was the pattern of salvation before the arrival 
of the promised prophets. Now, I'll just go back. So we've explained that it is a promise, right? Are we together on that? We've explained that as a promise. Now, while that promise was holding and standing, the question is, what was the pattern of salvation? Are we together? What was the pattern of salvation? I'm quickly going to run through that. Salvation is by works, right? In this place. So you see that the law actually tells you that if you keep the law, you'll be saved, which is, I mean, I'm going to, you're going to see my last slides that I explain if that is true or not. So Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 puts a promise against all the commandments. So let's go there. Let's just go there. Deuteronomy 28. I think you can go there. It's one of the scriptures we can check. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. Media team, if you can help. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. I'm rushing because we're not even half of where we're going. So now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you this day, that I, the Lord, will set you above all nations of the earth. The next. And all blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obeyed what? The voice of what? The Lord your God. Now go back to the slide. So it means that the blessings that comes from God is attached to the commandments, obedience of the commandments. That is what we see here. So the blessings that the commandments is attached to the obedience of the commandment. In keeping the law, you will be blessed. So that is the pattern of salvation when Jesus was still in a promise. The blessings of obedience is salvation, both in the Old and New Testament. The blessings of obedience is salvation. The difference is what you are obeying. Did you get it? The blessings of obedience is salvation. The difference is the question of what you are obeying. And in this context, what is being obeyed is what? What is being obeyed in this, in this context? The law. The law, thank you. The law is being obeyed. So in this context, it is the obedience to the law and the commandments that we see. The second part. What is the pattern of repentance in the New Testament? I'm going somewhere by explaining to you that it is a promise and explaining to you the old pattern of repentance. I'm going somewhere. Because it will affect your message if you understand the transition. If you understand the transition between the old and the new, what we call the Old Testament and the new, you would preach well. If you don't understand, you will preach the wrong message. Alright, so what is the pattern of repentance in the Old Testament, right? I'm just going to quickly run through this. The pattern of repentance, can we go to Numbers 14, 43? Numbers 14, 43, can you quickly go there please? For the Amalekites and Canaanites are therefore before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. The next one. But they presume to go to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord or Moses departed. Now, the explanation here is that people have turned away from the Lord. Now, the pattern of repentance here is to turn back to the Lord. Do we get it? So the pattern of repentance when you turn away from the Lord in the Old Testament is to turn back to the Lord. 
Right? So it's simply turn back to what the instructions of God that you have received. Now go to first, um, the next scriptures, 1 Chronicles 7, 14. Now you will see that the pattern at which, at which Solomon preached or prayed is that when the people sinned, Right when the people of God sinned, after he built the temple and was trying to, you know, uh, pray in the temple and dedicate it, he said, "When the people sinned, and they looked towards this temple, right, and they confessed their sins and they turned to you, what we see there in that scripture is that when the people turn to the Lord, then the Lord will do it, save them." Did you see that pattern? So that is the pattern. When the people turn, right, and the Lord will save them. Please move the scriptures. Then some, some, maybe Second Corinthians thereabouts. Back to my slides, please. I don't have enough time to really, you know, stay on them for a long. Next, just come back to slides, please. All right. So the pattern here that we see in the Old Testament is that God. I mean, the people of God must always turn. That is one pattern: turning to the Lord. The second pattern. You can write it down and you can check the scriptures. It's atonement for sin. Right? So atonement for sin is what brings forgiveness. So repentance, you turn to the Lord, right? You return to the Lord. Atonement for sin, then you offer. You offer something to the Lord, right? You offer something. So the pattern when Christ was still in promise, the pattern of salvation is in turning and offering and giving. To receive. Are we together? All right. Please, the next. This slide. It's not working. All right. Now, it is the same pattern, right? It is the same pattern. I think we have technical issues, but we can move on. I know my slides offhand. All right. So, it is the same pattern that Jesus and John the Baptist began to teach. I said, began to teach. So when John the Baptist came, and he was actually the first person that thought, repent and be baptized. It was not Jesus, right? So John came, and he thought, repent and be baptized, right? Or repent for the kingdom of God is sent. Can we have Matthew chapter 3? Can we quickly go to Matthew chapter 3? I think we have technical issues, but I'll teach from here. Matthew chapter 3 verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent for what? For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same pattern of turning and offering and giving. That is the word repent, right? To turn. That is the emphasis there. To turn. To turn. So, because this time, although the Messiah is there, right, you need to still repent because the Bible says the ways of the holiest of holies has not been made available, right? So Christ had not died. So it means that this message is valid on this time and in this season. And in the Old Testament, the message of repentance is valid. Okay, so that is it. Now, the second part of it, which is the kingdom of God is near, is actually explaining, right? It's explaining the fact that the time where God will begin to live in man is not far again. It's near. That's the meaning. Right? So, it means that the kingdom of God, which will be instituted by the Messiah, 
Are we together? It's near. So don't, don't, don't take it anywhere. Just use the word near. It means it's approaching. Actually, that's the word. If you check slide, that's the word. It's near. It's coming close. Right? So to turn away and to repent, what the kingdom of God is saying, is an Old Testament teaching. Do you get it? So to teach somebody that, brother, I come to minister to you in the name of the Lord. I want you to repent and because the kingdom of God is at hand, is an Old Testament teaching. It's an Old Testament way of teaching evangelism. Now, somebody will ask me, but Jesus taught it. Jesus taught it the next verse too, because Jesus actually <laughs> did the same thing. He taught it. Now, not that he taught it, he mentioned it and he, he said he preached it, right? Okay. So, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, verse 17. Let's see why would Jesus do that. And I will tell you two reasons why Jesus did that. Two reasons. So, from the time Jesus began to teach, saying, Repent. Turn a new leaf, right? Turn, change your, change your ways. For the kingdom of God is near, right? Now, one of the things that Jesus did, or the reason why he said this, is also because in that period, it is still valid. Do we get it? I've mentioned that in the context of John. The second reason why Jesus said this is to bear witness to what John is preaching, that this ministry is connected. So, your pastor, <laughs> okay, I don't want to use the example, but it's like, Pastor Fred, it's like the way I did. Pastor, Pastor Constance said something last week, and he said the gospel will prosper in your hand. I now came here, and I said, we are building on the gospel prospering in your hand through evangelism. That is the way Jesus did. It is a connection to say that I have not come to cancel what John is doing. I'm actually come to, I'm coming to build on it. So it was also valid for him to bear witness to the message of John. And that was still valid up until what? Up until what? Until that time. So all these teachings of repentance and the kingdom of God is attained is actually an old testament. So you can't evangelize like that. If you evangelize like that, the implication is that you are telling the person that you need to offer. Don't forget, in the Old Testament, they offer. In the Old Testament, they turn away. In the Old Testament, they seek atonement. So you're telling the person, repent, turn away, offer something, make atonement, change your ways, and you'll be accepted by God. Now, the, mis the, the problem there is that a man that has no God, that has nothing to offer, what can he offer? So nothing. A man that is not in God has nothing to So it means that he cannot help himself. So it's like telling an helpless man to help himself. Like, oh, brother, help yourself. Save yourself, actually. That's what you're saying. So to say repent for the kingdom of God is then is not correct to teach in evangelism. And to say the kingdom of God is at hand is also not correct. Because now we know that the kingdom of God is where? Is here, right? And inside where is it? In us. So, you're not going to preach that again. Say, I'm not going to preach that again. Hallelujah. Alright. So now, let's check. <laughs> Media team, my slides are now up, but don't worry. <laughs> I know what I'm teaching. Acts, let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts. I'm going to show you another place. The reason why I'm showing you places where this concept of repentance is being preached is so that I can disconnect your mind from preaching such. So I'm showing you everywhere I found in the scripture and from that and from those places oh, it's working. It's me that is not present. Oh. 
Hallelujah. Uh-huh. Amen. You know, when we're inside this thing, we forget technology. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. So, you just said that it's turning away from your wicked ways. That is the pattern. The next pattern is also a pattern of conduct, right? A pattern of conduct. And I'm going to explain that, right? That in the Old Testament is also about conduct, right? A moral conduct. And that is why Jesus would teach. I'll just quickly go there. Jesus would teach that forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, Jesus is trying to tell you, you will receive forgiveness by offering something. That is also still valid up until the time of the Old Testament. So every teaching that you will see before the resurrection of Jesus would give you an insight about these things. But you as a believer, what you are teaching is actually the resurrection. So it will be, it will be wrong for you to teach the promised Jesus. So I'll just quickly go. So I've, I've talked about this atonement for sins. Now, the, the problem about the Old Testament pattern is also that they are all temporal and there's no eternal life in them. That is a big problem. So the atonement, right? The atonement for sin, the offering, the goats, the lamb, and the conduct and the prayers, there is no eternal life in them. It was for a season that they might be able to worship do we get it? So, the, 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 the temporal things are not the things that you... So, if you are preaching repentance for the kingdom of God, you are preaching things that is temporal. That is, there's no eternal life in that. Do we get it? All right. So, I asked myself, so how were people saved in the whole testament? Well, I mean, if there's no eternal life in all of this, is it that they didn't have life of God in them? You know, is it that all of them perished? You see that everybody in the Old Testament perished sins. I'm saying that those things are temporal and they are doing no good. No. Hallelujah. Somebody say no. No. As much as men were under the law, there were several exercises of faith, even in the period of the law. So people exercised faith, not in the law, but in the promise. Right? I told you, on, in, under the period of the promise, there is the law and the, and the commandments. Now, some people exercise faith in the law and the commandment, rather than focusing on the promise. So, while people were exercising that, some people choose to be different. And say, so we, we will exercise our faith in the promise. Despite the fact that they were under the law, right? They were under the law. They did the things even under the law. They obeyed the law, but they exercised their faith in what? In the promise. So, Abraham believed God, yet... Uh, Yet he had a covenant of circumcision. That's, that's meant to be covenant. I don't know. This grammarly thing doesn't always work. <laughs> All right. So, Abraham was actually, he believed God, the message of God, that the world, the whole earth will be blessed through him, through Christ that will come through him. Yet, there was circumcision. Was there not? And that was why Paul would rebuke the Galatians and say, who has bewitched you? Even Abraham that did it, it was not circumcision that gave him salvation, but in the believing of the message. Another person, Moses, is one of the most interesting persons, instituting the Levitical era and giving it to them. But yet him believed God that he would send a Messiah. 
He said, I said, God, I know God will raise a prophet for you. From among you. Now, those guys, that, that, you see that message is enough for them to believe and forget the law. Not that they will not obey it, but their heart and their, their passion and their mindset should be just on that. And believe me, they had believed that some of them that died in the wilderness would have entered Canaan. Hallelujah. But they didn't believe that, right? So yet, people were under the law. They did things under the law. They instituted it. They believed God. That's the message to tell you Moses believed. Joshua and Caleb in the wilderness, now pertaining to Canaan, right? Canaan, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they have to teach on Canaan. Canaan is not the rest. We've talked about it. Canaan is not the rest. The wilderness, right? They were in the wilderness. They believed God pertaining Canaan. They believed the promise of God, yet they knew Canaan was not the end. So they said, these guys are big. You know, they are, they are, they are who they are. But if God has said he will save us, he will do what? He will save us. That is the belief. They said it. That if God, God will deliver us from the answer, God will deliver. That is the deliverer. That's message. Believing that God is a deliverer. But they were under the law. So these people are people who, who, say, who, who got saved, right? We can say people who got saved because they believe the promise of Christ. Nehemiah is another example. Nehemiah so much believed in the building of the temple. Hallelujah. But we knew that that temple itself is what? It's us. The Bible says, and truly we are what's the house of God in Hebrews. Right? So if you go to Hebrews, let's go there. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's just quickly read that. I have 10 minutes more. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. And I'll just read from verse 5. It said, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are what are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boast in our boasting and in our hope. So he said, if indeed, I mean, he said, we are actually what? The house of God. So we are indeed the house of God. All right. So neither circumcision or the law or Canaan or the restoration of the temple had eternal life in them. But what those people had in common is faith in what God will what will do. Right? Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop my slides here and go straight to Acts of Apostles. Because the slides are a lot. Let's go straight to Acts of Apostles. Now, the, the message of repent also was also preached by Peter. And I want us to pay attention. I think that's the last set at which this message of repent and be baptized was preached, right? And we need to understand why Peter, after resurrection, because I told us that you cannot preach that after resurrection, right? Now, we need to understand why Peter preached such message. And I'm going to pass a message to us from that. Now, Acts chapter... Acts chapter 2. Now read from verse 12. Acts chapter 2 verse 12. It said, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So the context is that some of them were saying, What does this mean? And some people were saying, Leave them. They just took some shots. And, you know, that shot is what is disturbing them. Right? Now, 
The Bible now says in the next verse, verse 14. It said, Peter, standing with the eleven, he gave a sermon. Right? He gave a sermon. And he explained Christ as promised up until verse 37. Now, come to verse 37 with me. Now, when they heard, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Right? The word brother there is not brethren. It's actually the, the fact that they were Jews. They were fellow Jews together. Because you would mean that brother means they were saved. No, they were not saved. Right? They were fellow Jews and converts who had believed. So it's like people from the same ethnic community or the same ethnic groups. Okay, how can we be saved? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your, of your sins, and you will receive what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing that you must realize there is that this is his first sermon after resurrection. Hallelujah. This is Peter's first sermon after resurrection. So it means that... Okay, let me not say that wrong. But just hold on to that. Hold on to that on one side. Now, what Peter was doing here, right? I will show you a contrast. What Peter was doing here was that Peter was reacting to the fact that they were calling them drunk men. And because Peter was, he was actually provoked, actually. That is a message out of provocation. Because I will tell you, go to verse, go to verse 23. I will show you. Go to verse 23. It was an accusative message as well. It says, this is Jesus. Verse 23 says, this is Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God. And you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Now, this accusation did not continue throughout the New Testament. This accusation was to the real people that constituted the killing of Jesus. Did you get that? So, and because Jesus had preached the same message, John the Baptist, Jesus had preached the same message to them. That's another reason. So he brought it back to them, that that same message that you have rejected, repent and be baptized. Did you get it? So because of, he was talking to a Jewish community that had actually crucified Jesus, and the fact that they were mocking him, he was actually meeting an agitative crowd. So he dropped that message and said, repent and be baptized. Now, you will see that in another person's context, he changed the message. He actually changed the message. Let me show you another place where he did the same thing. So if someone actually progressively grew over time, let me show you another place. All right. Same Acts of Apostles, chapter 3. When Peter was speaking in the Solomon's uh, protocol. Now, if you go to verse 14, look at the pattern he was using against them, right? So, go to verse 14. He said, but you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Did you see that? So, the pattern of Peter's teaching, right, in this aspect, talking to the Jews, 
was actually pointing to them to their sins. Actually pointing them to what they did. Yet still preaching to them that this is the Messiah. Do we get it? So in these two contexts, you are not a Jewish community. You are an, you are an African, you know, descent, of African descent. Second, did you kill Jesus by your hand? No. That's another thing we appropriate to ourselves. That we, we crucified the Lord and, you know, you don't need to appropriate it to yourself, right? Yes, crucifixion means something is attached. In fact, the Bible says that we receive forgiveness through him. And it said we are actually crucified with him. In this context, they were the ones that crucified him. And it was pointing them to it. And telling them that same message that you have rejected. That is the same message you will believe now. It's the same message of repentance and baptizing. Now, over time, his message changed. I have three more minutes. Now, go to Acts chapter 10. I will show you somebody else who is not a Jewish community member and who actually came and Peter. So, I'm just telling you that you cannot preach repent and be baptized or repent for the kingdom of God is end because that's not a pattern in the New Testament. That's not. You've heard of it so many places. Now, Acts chapter 10. From verse, I'll read from verse 38. It said, Our God, so this is Paul, or Peter rather, preaching. It said, Our God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by devil. For God was with him, and we are witness of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging. You see, the pronoun has changed. They did what? Put him to death. Because he's talking to a different audience. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not only to the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42. He said, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed to, by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in this and who believes right in him receive what forgiveness of what of sins through what through his name. Now, if you see the way he was teaching to the Jews, he will tell them, "You will receive forgiveness for your sins." That's the kind of teaching he was teaching. And the Old Testament is actually even for their sins. The atonement is for sins. Because something was given for, for something. It says for forgiveness. Now he's saying receive the forgiveness of their sin simply means that the forgiveness has been given. So the way people believe here, or sorry, people become saved from the resurrection time is actually when they believe and they receive forgiveness of sin. Do we get it? So your message is that do you believe and receive the forgiveness of sin through Christ Jesus? Now, he was talking to Cornelius here. Now, the next verse says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the message. It's because all who heard the message believe and receive the message. Did you get that? They believe and they receive the message. So, what my teaching is as someone, what the message is, is not repent, but do you believe and receive the message? Hallelujah. Amen. So the emphasis becomes 
Now, I just may make three emphases. My time is already up. Sorry, can you bring my slides quickly? Can you bring it? I'll just go somewhere and explain certain elements that if you are preaching, that the person believes you must mention, you must state. You must really state them and emphasize them. I'm just going to quickly move to the slides because I want to show us something so that you will know whether you are preaching the right message or not. All right. So what must you not preach? I think I will, I will stay with this slide and the other slide. What must you not preach? You do not preach that he is yet to come. He is not the yet to come Messiah. So if you are preaching the baptism of John, you are preaching any other thing apart from believing, you are teaching that Jesus is yet to come. Yet to come means he has not come. Rara, he's coming. He's not the second coming. The second thing is that you do not preach repentance by atonement and offerings from sin to give forgiveness. So the person cannot deliver themselves from their sins, but they must believe in the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin means that it has been done. Okay? So the forgiveness of sin means Jesus had done something. So I used to ask people, if you want people to do something for their own sin, you, right, you believe by forgiveness of sin. You now preach forgiveness from sin to somebody. That is wickedness, actually. That's an act of wickedness. You got something free, but what you're preaching is that the person should bring something. You might not know it, but we've explained it today. So you don't preach atonement for offerings or forgiveness from sin. You do not confess your sins, neither do you offer or animal to get Christ. Now, the emphasis here is that in the Old Testament, there's an offering and there's a confession of sin. So they get a goat and they put the goat and I put my hand on the goat and um, my sins are transferred to the goat in the Old Testament and the goat is being killed and it's like my death, the goat is taken and now I'm atoned. That's atonement. So if you tell the person to come and confess sins, right, it means that you are doing the same pattern. The same pattern. Pastor Fred has taught a couple of times that we don't do confession of sins. We confess the Lordship of Jesus. Now, this is re-emphasizing that. So, not the conduct of man. Not the conduct of man. You know, some of us, because you see the person smoking and drinking and he's just doing, you are so angry like Peter. And the next, you must repent. No. The person still needs to believe. No, no matter the level of his gravity of his sin. So, don't let the person's conduct affect your message. Like the person is, you know, just misbehaving. And you are so angry. Like, why are these people? You still believe that you will teach the person. It's not repent. Of course, you are looking at him. If this guy does not repent. No, if that guy does not believe. Do you get it? If the guy does not believe, then it's going to be a problem. But if he believes, right. So you don't look at the conduct of man. So the message, because it's not by conduct, is for both moralists and immoralists. So somebody, you are, we are preaching to somebody. Somebody tells you, I'm a good man. I don't need Jesus. And I say, no, 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 no. The message is for both moralists and immoralists, bro. You can't escape it. <laughs> you get the point. So morality does not save. So the conduct of man, whatever they are doing, let it not affect your message. The message is belief. Right? The message is belief. Right? Whether it's immoral, you see, I listed a, num a number of things there. So the message is also not giving our life. Right? It's not giving our life. We've not seen that. It's not giving our life, but it's actually receiving the life of Christ. We're going to see that in the next slide. So your message is also not generational. Uh, how do I put it? It's not, cost, it's, not, it's not meant to be customized for a generation. 
Do you get? The message of the gospel is not meant to be customized for a generation because we want you to believe. We now have to package it in a way that it will suit Generation Z. No. <laughs> it doesn't work. Otherwise, if they have been packaging the message, you know, they package the message in the first church. They package the message in the church of Rome. In the growth of the church, they package all the message. Do you know the version you will have now? It will be a terrible version. So, in fact, there was a time they packaged the message, and in, of course, in the, in the Roman Empire, and they said, you have to pay for your sins. Right? That was the packaging of the message. And that was not the message. We were just using that to collect tax. Right? So, you don't package the message for a generation. If you package the message for a generation, you are, you are cobalizing the next generation. The word is koba. You know, it means you are, you, are, you, are give, you are at the detriment of the next generation. So the message is, must not be attempting to adapt to the world or a particular generation. So let people not affect your message, the conduct of man. Let them not affect your message. If somebody, how big, how small, he's just approach him and share the message of believing and receiving forgiveness through Christ Jesus. So what you must preach, the death and the resurrection of Jesus must be in your message. You cannot remove it. All the sermons contain the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you must tell the person. Repentance to turn away from unbelief, right? So it's not repentance. The person is not repent. He's not repenting from their conduct. The person is actually turning away from unbelief. So you are trying to tell the person, believe the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the person, the repentance now in the New Testament means something different. It means to turn to believe. To turn towards God and believe. So you receive forgiveness of sin by believing and receiving the righteousness of God through Christ. Right? So you receive the forgiveness of sin. So it means that the forgiveness has been offered before you were born. Forgiveness has been what? Offered before you were born. So the children you are going to give birth to will also come and receive the forgiveness of their sin. Amen. So confession of the Lordship of Jesus, we find this in Romans chapter 10. It talks about the confession of the Lordship of Jesus rather than the confession of sin. So these are the things you teach people. You confess the Lordship of Jesus. The outcome is actually receiving eternal life. And you have to tell the person, you receive eternal life when you receive the life of God. You must say that. You must say that, right? That the person received the life of God because that is the beginning right, of the person's journey as a believer. To be saved is to have eternal life. You have to also tell the person, when you believe, you have eternal life. To be saved is to have eternal life, right, to have the life of God in you. So what you offer now, you see, we are still seeing the same context, repentance, offering. But now in this, what you offer is actually the life of God that is given to you. You now offer it back. You lay it back. Do you get it? And that is what they call ministry. That is where ministry starts. Did you get it? Yes. I'm happy I got to this place. So the life of Christ that you have received is what you now offer as ministry. Hallelujah. The life that you live in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Let's be on our feet. Do you understand evangelism now? This is how you teach people. You don't give the wrong message. Just say, Lord, help me to teach the right message as I've listened. So, Lord, help me to teach the right message. Help me to teach the right message as I've listened and as I've been taught rightly. Help me to teach the right message. Thank you because you did everything all for us. 
and we just have to come. Thank you, Father. Because I received the life of Christ, I believe, not by unfailing faith, but by the power.